So how are how are you on this lovely day on this August the sixteenth? Be with us. That's a joke from I'm... the Giant Bombcast. Oh yeah, I love that joke from the Giant Bombcast where they say something something. Uh, you know, like uh, June the thirtieth be with you, or in this case, what is it? August the sixteenth. Uh, August be with you. the sixteenth be with you. Uh, that's a that's not a bad day to be. But you know, I feel like the summer is going by so fast. I feel like nobody considers the first twenty days of September to be summer, even though they are, right? Yeah. But as soon as it gets to September, everyone's just, just uh, you're in fall mode because you're because you're, you're just you're packing drinking up your pumpkin for, spice. Yeah, you're drinking pumpkin spice. You're in fall mode. You're packing up your school supplies. If you are, you've got your your frosted mini wheats, your pumpkin frosted mini wheats. Um, you don't have them. I don't have them because there are bugs in those. But uh, you know what? There aren't bugs in video games. I thought about that, but that's not true. Oh yeah, there are bugs in video there are games. Bugs in video games. Um, what are there not bugs in then? I feel like there's bugs in everything. Air conditioners. Um, air conditioners are great, <laughs> and that's our usual kind of. Because you can get bugs in those. You can get bugs in them, but shouldn't they get chopped up in all that grinding gear? You know, the big air conditioning. Is there a lot of grinding grinder in gear? there? Is I don't that, know. Is like, that, wouldn't you think there'd be like a lot of filters and like then a fan that goes really fast, right? I don't know. As an as an air conditioner expert, do what? you think there's a grinder inside your air conditioner? What do you mean? Like, if you pop it open, there's a grinder for your your dosh your dosh leaves to grind I, I'm, them up. I'm just saying, based on what you just said, you said you think bugs are getting ground up in there, and from an air conditioning expert, it's like the scene from uh, what? I expect something a little bit more realistic, a little more true. Yeah, um, I got to be honest. This week, I just I was not keeping abreast of my air conditioner news. I just really wasn't. I had a lot going on with um other things. Uh, well, then you must have missed of... the article where they said breaking. Uh, things don't get ground up inside air conditioners. You, you must dummy. have missed that one. You dummy. But yeah, so what have you been getting involved with, if not air conditioners? Oh, a little game that uh, I was uh, first and foremost to. I, uh, a long time ago, shared this with you, and um, I have always kind of been the big Monster Hunter fan of the podcast. And, uh, you know, I'm back for another round because they got that Monster Hunter uh, on PC, and you know I can't stay away. I do the biggest um, swings, and I charge up five vials on my charge blade and turn it into a big axe, and I whack a monster over the head with it. Wow. Yep. Sounds like you've got it figured out. Uh, so me as a as a, You're a as novice. a monster yeah. hunter peasant. Yeah, a monster a monster novice. Can, can you tell me a little bit about what makes Monster Hunter World different from all these other games? Because Monster Hunter's been out since what the PlayStation? Yeah, um, it is pretty much the same, and almost nothing has changed. Except the graphics are faster and bigger and better. Uh, the monsters are veiny and longer than they've ever been. And that is a great reason to upgrade. And, you know, these next-gen consoles, like, the old-gen consoles, they tried to put the veins in them, but it just kind of looked like a flat texture. And because of the resolution, you know, you just didn't really... The veins didn't pop. But now, 
you got polygonal veins on top of the monsters. And that is a huge reason, a huge draw to getting it uh, on uh, the new consoles, getting Monster Hunter World in general. But now we got PC. It is looking better and bigger and veinier than it has ever looked. And that wow. is so, so a reason to celebrate. So that's the difference. That's, that's what makes this game different. Uh, are, you, are you questioning me? Because I feel like... Uh, Long-time fans know one one thing about this podcast. Well, they know two things. They know that that we stole the uh, X, may the X of whatever X be with you. Wait, hold on. May the X of X be with you. Uh, Yes, and um, we did that. We stole that. And then the other thing is that every single podcast, you can't stop me from talking about Monster Hunter Hunter and how... uh, Big and veiny these monsters are, and uh, I think that you know we've reached a new level with the PC version. Wow. Uh, hmm. So this game came out earlier this year on the on the consoles, uh, but you weren't you weren't as crazy about it that time around. No, I was. Cra- I, I was still. I still liked it. I think the biggest problem really was the fact that I first had to pay. You had to pay a subscription on the PS4, and also it's on the PS4. Um, so on the PC do have, version, do you have a pro? uh, I don't, I don't, um, on the PC version, it's that same game, just better looking. And, uh, I guess post patches, I don't really know. Like I know the patches were free, but I don't know if they're in there yet. I don't know if you can illuminate me on that. Uh, yeah, no, they're, I mean, in terms you, of the patches, it's just like the extra monsters and those are in there. I'm not playing are Monster. You pl- Hunter. Are you playing a clicker or something? Or I'm not playing Monster Hunter. Oh, because it, it, I, I got because you're the Monster Hunter fanatic. I gotta say that if anyone is listening uh, to the podcast and listening to the sounds that you're making uh, on the on recording and how that recording picks up those sounds, uh, the whole it last, doesn't. The whole it does. It can't. I'm looking at it. Um, uh, the whole, good. the whole long 10 minute explanation about how veiny and big the monsters are is really, is really, you know, creating a toxic environment for the listeners. And also for this actual discussion about Monster Hunter. Yeah. So the first the thing you got to know about Monster Hunter just, is you got to forget everything ready. you thought you knew about Monster Hunter. Cause this one really isn't about the veins. This one is more about the weapons. Is it? Yeah, I'm loving the weapons. So what is it about the weapon? Like, it's different, though, because in, in the last Monster Hunter that was, like, big, which was Monster Hunter Generations, they they sort of took all the weapons and they gave them a bunch of different, like, styles. Okay. So there was a, like, you had the guild style, which was the traditional way of using the weapon, but then you also had, like, all of these super moves so you had the striker who could employ the use of like these big flashy super moves. You had the aerial style, which let you like jump around and mount monsters. And then you had the adept style, which allowed you to uh, do bonus attacks or like special attacks and power up off of doing dodges. Okay. But also, but also in doing that, you know, they added like this great amount of variety to the game, but there were times where it felt more like you were playing the style than it did like you were playing the weapon. Okay. So it's not like I'm playing I'm playing dual blades. It's like I'm playing adept. So I'm just going to roll around because mm-hmm. that's what adept does. And you know, that was kind of a 
a weird like it, it generations is not considered to be part of the core monster hunter line it's more of like a a, a best of like a it's like your your turbo edition okay. right yeah and and i don't know if you knew this but monster hunter generations ultimate comes out in the west this month on switch on the 28th on the switch and the demo for that just came out today and it includes two new styles the alchemy style and the bushido style which is based all on counters so six styles for every 14 weapons is there so, a reason for using the the uh, guild style uh it has the most moves it actually it has a larger uh move set than all of the other ones the other ones uh they sacrifice the diversity of weapon moves in order to have those stylistic changes. Okay. Um, I'm going to play that too. So I feel like I've got a crazy Monster Hunter month or Monster Hunter season going on. You were saying it's fall, but that's what uh, we're really not moving into fall. We're moving into Monster season. Hunter. Yeah, it's hunting season, baby. Uh, so I'm also playing Worlds on, on PC. And despite the amount of... Uh, well, I'm, I'm a complete novice to Monster Hunter, but... In every Monster Hunter game I play, I do end up trying out a different weapon, and I still have a lot of weapons that I just haven't played. And this time around, I'm going for the Lance. And, and I think the thing that's surprising about the Lance is that if, if you give like a cursory look at it, it doesn't look like it has a lot going on. But when you start playing it, man, there is a lot to that weapon. It's like super fast. It's got these crazy like counter attacks and power armor where you can like hunker down and unleash these big blasts. It's got like this ability to sprint at and jump over monsters like a like a insect glaive. It's like a vault, kinda yeah. That's a yeah, it vaults. It is a slick weapon. And I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea that that weapon was as cool as it is in Monster Hunter World. Oh, that's good. Um, but you know the, the the one thing that I, I kind of irks me about going between like Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, as I will be doing, and Monster Hunter World, is like Monster Hunter World, the the gameplay is so fluid. It's the way that you interact with the environments are so cool, and the the weapons are even more like nuanced and interesting than they've ever been before. But Generations Ultimate just has over a hundred different large monsters. It's just got so much content in it and it has a ton more armors and all of the weapons look different. One of my criticisms of world and everybody else's was just that a lot of the weapons don't look different. Like there's a few different coats of paint for the different weapons and that's it. Okay. And that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Whereas with, Especially when you're working with, really uh, hard for it. But, but in Generations and in Generations Ultimate, you just have like all these, you know, like over a hundred unique looking sets of armor and, and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of weapons. So I'm going to be playing a lot of Monster Hunter is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, I feel like it'd be hard to go back. Like, I kind of think it would be hard to go back to a Monster Hunter where the uh, environment is like segmented again. Because isn't that the case with uh, Generations? It is. Yeah. But I think that always bothered you a little bit more than me. Yeah, I feel like I feel like World is more. Uh, it, it, it we said this when World first came out that it really like solves a lot of my issues. That it you know it's on a it's it's pretty. It's on a bigger screen. 
Um, the uh, sec the areas of the world are like massive and intertwining and interesting. And there's like and vertical. More of, there's like an ecosystem. Yeah, they're vertical. Like there's there there's more interesting. Like getting around is more fun. You're like sliding and like jumping and you know swinging on vines. And uh, there's you this got that e- hook shot. There's they have the hook shot, and then there's that ecosystem of like different thing monsters interacting or fighting each other or you know watching how the monster interacts with its environment more than it would in uh other games and um i would miss that i think a lot i I sure i don't know if i will or won't play it but i feel like uh world really pushed it to the next uh generation and like plat and gave it a new plateau and it's kind of weird to go backwards the thing is, is that when I heard about the Switch, I said that's a Monster Hunter machine, and you did. I remember I that. We have that on. Uh, we have that recorded. I gotta get it on on the Switch because I love hunting on the go. Yeah, and you gotta I'm also show them. You know, get that get World over here, if you can. And you probably can't. Um, yeah, it probably doesn't run. Uh, yeah, I usually do the same thing where I get invested in a new weapon. Uh, the first weapon that i feel like i really actually spent time learning was the gun lance and then when the insect glaive came out i played that and uh when i played monster hunter world uh on uh ps4 i went back to the insect uh, glaive and that's all i played uh but this time i'm kind of like messing around a little bit more i also feel like this is a really good game for that because the game is like more fun and less punishing in the beginning uh, I feel like the, the the starting monsters are pretty easy to read. They don't take that much time to down them. Uh, that it, the game is a little bit better paced. They're not like going through that like you know hitting the load screen and running and across a new thing to hit another load screen and trying to find that monster. But you just realize they left that area. Um, so especially on the PC where there's just yeah no the load screens load are amazing uh, and. Uh, so it's kind of fun because I feel like the beginning of this game is really a, a, a huge boon to people who want to switch around and find, uh, you know, what they like. So uh, I've been watching uh, different Monster Hunter videos from like Gadget Hunter and this guy, Arikz, I think, A-R-K-K-Z or something like that. Right. Um, uh, and guides for, for playing the different weapons. And I'm, I still like even watching those guides, like I still don't like get all the nuances or like can do do everything all together but also one of the things i was finding out uh this time as i'm playing it through it on pc is that uh basically every time i hunt a monster there would be a uh new different like weapon that i could make craft out of that so for example what i mean is like uh the first after i fought the great jagger the first weapon i used is the charge blade uh, I don't know why uh, I was just I was like watching another like a tutorial explaining each weapon and uh, I thought it was done very well because they were because the I think it was like the Eryx guy that I was saying before. Um, yeah. And he was saying um, what each like the feeling of each weapon, like what video game play styles like literally like, you know, like, oh, you want you want to play like you are you play Devil May Cry. You want to play uh, like Demon Blades. You play uh dark souls you want to play sword and shield or something like um so he, he was kind of zelda like, yeah zelda is yeah that's what he said as well um uh i don't know uh he he had glowing things to say about the charge blade that you know it's like really interesting and that it's one of his favorite weapons so i wanted to try it out so i, I really liked it uh might 
continue to stick with it, but uh, after I beat the Great Jagras, I, I made a Charge Blade out of Great Jagras. Then when I beat Puke, Puki Puki, um, I made a bow um, because I had all the things to make a bow and just switched to using the bow for uh, fighting the Baryoth, or the Baroth. Um, and that was really fun and also really cool and, and different. And it was really sloppy in the beginning. Couldn't get a handle on like when I'm supposed to be like charging up or like how I'm supposed to use my stamina. Cause I wasn't really paying attention as much to stamina management. Cause I felt like I was safe when I was away from the enemy monster, but really wasn't. Um, but I, uh, killed the bear off and then I made a uh, switch blade or switch ax out of the, um, the bear off. So, and then I just hunted another bear off with a switch ax. Didn't really, uh, really like that one as much as like I feel like I thought it was like a like less nuanced more like mashy version of the charge blade in a lot of cases like I don't think it had that many unique elements as much as like the charge blades like you know charging but, files but did you do the zero sum discharge yeah that thing is that thing is badass I, I mean uh, that like that is the reason to play it right is that like huge like like, there's a couple, like, massive combo. I mean, there is things about that I like about it. Like, I'm not saying that I'm not going to, like, ever play it again. And I'm really, like, jumping around. I feel like I found yeah, yeah. a couple interesting ones that I want to kind of keep uh, jumping between until something really, really finally, like, clicks. Um, yeah, but, you, but but I mean, you know that move where you, like, jam into the monster and then yeah, you start riding what else? the monster. That is, what that else is could the sickest. No, I mean, it has a couple really cool moves. The Switch the switch Axe has that, uh, I really like the Wild Swing, where you're just hit, constantly hitting circle and you're just like, whack, whack. Like, it's like, it, it even looks like kind of, um, like, angry and not uh, professional or like... Yeah. You, like it, did you know that that move goes through all armor in the game? Oh really? Yeah, it's 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 really. Uh, I I feel like it was. I saw it bouncing off sometimes, but uh, but but uh, maybe I was just getting a different thing. Maybe I was getting like forward circle or something. It's kind of hard sometimes to like, especially when you're not great with the weapon. Like the slightest bit of like turning in the wrong way or touching the stick will like give you a different thing or coming out of a combo and looking for a certain attack when it's like, oh yeah, when you come out of this combo and you hit the, that button, it, you don't get that normal attack. But anyway, Wild Swing is really cool, and then yeah, like I feel like one of the main reasons to play it is really to like build up that charge and then unleash it and like explode the sword. I don't even know why certain things do that. I don't know why the sword like you can like jam it into the monster and then like do an explosion. Uh, it's pretty dope. I guess it's cool. Um, so. Uh, that was that was neat. So I've tried those those weapons so far, and I kind of still also I've always liked the insect glaive. I liked how like mobile it is and like how many hits you get in with it. But I'm gonna keep trying different things. Um, yeah, you should try the Gunlands because it's probably nothing like you remember. Yeah. It's been like totally rebuilt at this point. Yeah, maybe. I'll, I mean, I'll try different things because I, I like I said, like I feel like the monsters are really easier and less frustrating, and the the game has you know. It's getting you into like new cool stuff quicker than any other Monster Hunter does, so it, it feels like it rewards, or it doesn't like reward or ex experimentation, or like it kind of does because it allows you to like. But it gives you stuff to do also, yeah. like because then you're like, oh, I want to hunt this monster to get this new weapon, and I don't know. That's part of the fun for me in Monster Hunter is just like doing the same thing a little bit different each time. Yeah, it's been interesting. I think what I want to do is like definitely, you know get further in the story uh i like doing expeditions Hunt online this time yeah, yeah. I, I like doing expeditions just to um to try out different things like i think it's good i think it's a good um 
it'll be a good way to figure out weapons by fighting the same monster with this with different weapons and just feeling like okay so that time i just felt like i you know i i jived with the weapon more i mean monster hunter is always so i think the thing that's always so interesting about monster hunter is that like you really like the weapons are your personality and your personality has to kind of like mold to the weapons and uh, i feel like with how like you were saying like how nuanced the weapons are in in world uh the first time i played it i really just stuck with the insect glaive and i loved it and i didn't want to switch away from it because i felt like it would be uncomfortable uh but now you know jumping between the different weapons i'm feeling like you know that there is like that it's so interesting finding the different styles and like having to think differently while i'm playing and maybe finding something that like fits me even better than insect uh, glaive i really do feel like the charge uh blade is really satisfying i really love that like the discharge on it the way that it looks in general when you like lock that sword into the shield and get the big like axe swings and stuff like that i don't know there's a couple really cool weapons uh and then you start building the different like sets that make other like make things differently like once you get like a set that has a vid extender on it and you're like doing these really large like hops or like rolls with like with like the lance or with like the switch axe that like sort of extend what you can do like in terms of comboing and like hitting the monster it's like pretty sick yeah um so hard to say anything new other than just like it's great i'm loving it i'm thinking about it a lot it's probably like with world you know one of the things that made me fall off of world in the first place was literally the fact that i knew it was coming to pc it's hard to because like I didn't even get Destiny on PS4. I waited for it to be on PC. I just like things better on PC. I'm already on my PC and like I and look at how much you love that Destiny too on PC. Yeah, I know. I love it. I love it. I play it all the time. Um, but you know, like Monster Hunter also just I I heard some complaints and I don't know where they're coming from. I feel like when I when I hit Monster Hunter on Steam, it loads up like ridiculously fast and there's no loading times or anything like. You really just get into whatever you want to do quicker. So it's more satisfying than like me having to turn around all the way around and uh, turn on my PS4. Come on. It's a lot. And then you like, load up Gross. and then you got to hit, you know, some of the load times are long. You know, that's a lot. I can't do that. Especially like going from the hub to the missions back to the hub. Yeah. But uh, on those PC, are, that's those a joke. Are tiny slices of my life. Yeah, but on that PC, that's a little, play. that's a second. That's a smidgen. Yeah, so um, I am really, I feel like I'm really excited about a lot of different things right now. Um, so I'm like in a really good mood. I had a good week. I hung out with my LTCP for a couple days in a row, and we played uh, like seven hours of Villainous today. And I'll get on what to is that. Villainous? I'll get on to that. I, do you want me to t t say it now, or do you want to talk more about? Uh, tell me about. Tell me about your video games. What okay. else you got going on? Are you playing any of that uh, Dragon Ball? You Fighters? know I am playing Dragon Ball Fighters. Oh my god, Dragon Ball Fighters. Okay, so get it out of the way. You can say don't talk about Dragon Fight Dragon Ball Fighters, uh, but I am going to. Dragon Ball Fighters got a massive, massive uh, update. I was playing so much Dragon Ball Fighters leading up to this update and was already talking about it on the podcast, trying to even just say like, yo, I'm still playing it. Okay. Bye. I don't want to, you know, use up too much podcast airtime, but, um, uh, there was a big patch, uh, dropping 
probably the most aesthetically boring characters in the game, base Vegeta and base Goku, along with a an actual, the first true, true patch. So they've had patches before, mostly just dropping characters and then bug fixes and nothing like super significant in the way of like actual balance. And this was the first actual balance patch where uh, some of the top tiers got nerfed a little bit and then the lowest kind of like worst uh, tournament uh, characters got like in some cases some like redonkulous buffs like Nappa for example is probably the most buffed character going from uh like D tier to possibly A S rank like he is just ridiculous he's brutal um but it, it overall it was like the balance changes done were phenomenal they're exactly the kind of thing you wanted to see uh even uh like I think it came out like what last like Tuesday or something I forget like last Monday or something and I feel like no one is uh that we're that the 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 entire community is like very the game just feels very new uh the character balance just feels much more wide open than it has been feeling more like in the in the first like you is know Nappa a character now Nappa's a re- I just said that Nappa's probably one He's of the best characters man. In the game, he got the most buffs, but um, uh, so uh, in the be- in the first uh, you know, month or so, it felt like uh, just uh, it just felt like a lot of characters were either like you know, every character. It felt like the the tier list was a lot tighter than it ended up being, and it, it eventually just fell into being like you know, every character is pretty good, but then there's some of the most unbelievable characters, and it feels more like the the beginning again, where where there's a lot of movement and day-to-day people are finding new cool stuff. And because, you know, everyone's so confused about all the characters, you take a character like Nappa that maybe was already pretty good and no one's playing him, so you don't have that, like, constant figuring out of, like, new tech and new pressure and new strings. And then uh, now, you know, with everyone trying new characters, uh, more and more characters and more things are being found out. So that's a great place to be. And probably more exciting than any of that, uh, or maybe not, is the fact that the two characters they released, as boring, as ridiculously boring as they looked, are, like, some of the coolest, most ins- insane characters in the game. Uh, great, great characters. Uh, base Vegeta, just really good, and feels overall fun to use, and has, like, really effective tools, and, like, a cool kit. Goku has, base Goku has the weirdest moves in the game. He has, like, a kaioken super where it's the only super in the game that's kind of meant to be used outside of a combo um because it gives him like you know mix up and weird rushdown opportunities like one of the kyle like kaioken is like a like he like goes into this animation where he powers up and then any button you hit is going to do like weird variations on his moves so heavy attack for example has him fly forward and then do a command grab that can he can combo off of so like it's a weird, interesting move that takes a lot of getting used to, and it's supposed to be used outside of combos, which is kind of cool. And then also he has the most damaging uh, level three in the game, the Spirit Bomb. So the whole community is, like, finding out different ways to combo into that for big touches of death. So he's really cool. And that's uh, that's the Dragon Ball Fighters two-minute. So. Wow, that was pretty fast. Good job. Thank you. I'm, I, I'm switching around. I don't even have a team anymore. Just flopping around. Very cool. Uh, so I did something that I, I guess you saw coming, uh, but I, I had to uninstall Yakuza. I just stopped Ooh. feeling it. But, but here's the thing is Hit that I, I feel like I kind of, 
I'm starting to understand that there's only very specific styles of games that, that I like to, to or want to play. And Yakuza doesn't fit into them because it either needs to be um, something that could be played in short bursts like roguelikes, roguelites, uh, Monster Hunter to an extent. Uh, the other option is that it needs to be a sandboxy game. Uh, so Subnautica, uh, Fallout, Skyrim. No Man's those, Sky. Those, those work just fine. No Man's Sky. Yeah, I plan to go through that. Or they've got to be really tight story games, something like uh, Life is Strange or Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah, that just kind of funnels you. Yeah, and what was that game that I played at the end of the last year where you go through the house of the family and you got those short little stories? I think Uh, you played it It wasn't Dear Esther, right? It was... uh... No, but for some reason, I lost the name of that game. Uh, Yeah, keep going. I'm going to do some research. But yeah, so essentially... I, I've realized that I I do not have a good time with any of these like assassins. What remains of Edith Finch? Open worlds. What remains of Edith Finch? That's the one. Uh, I I can't do these like these have a lot of story, but they also have all these different types of gameplay. But you, you, I I just can't do it. I mean, there's because... there's so much value for that book, but it's like. You don't want, I don't want, I know what you mean, like, there's, there, like, from a, if I used to just literally just, you know, sit down and play video games for eight hours, like I did when I was, like, a teenager or a kid, and just do that every day, or, like, it's, you know, it's the summertime, and you're not working, because you're a kid, and you're just playing playing video games. Yeah, so, so you, like, something like getting Yakuza and being able to just, like, devote, you know, ten hours a day and play it for like literally a month and just put like hundreds of hours and do everything there is to be done and be able to like come at it at your at your and its own terms is exciting and it's an amazing value like you know you buy something for like 60 or less like sometimes sometimes the games are even like bargain yeah, prices it was 20 right now and you do it for so much and you play so much of it but the, then like I don't know, like, I, I think what you're saying is what you're saying that you want, like, a more, f- like, something that's more focused that, like, does what it wants to do so well instead so of a well, game like, that, yeah. Like a Monster Hunter or, like, a Dark Souls, where it's not, in Dark Souls, they don't say, hey, uh, if you enter, if you go into this covenant, you get to play the racing minigame. Or you, you get, get to, to help out a cam girl. Steeds. Yeah. Okay, all the Yakuza side missions, that's the best content in the game. Yeah. But I I just don't want to do all that side stuff. And it's like in Yakuza, you walk down a street and, and people will inter- they'll interrupt you with their cool side story. And it's like, that's awesome. But if I do all these side stories, I'm never going to finish this game. You know, it's weird. That and is a that is a very close approximation to being in Japan. You walk down the streets and someone says, hey, man, I got titties in here. You want titties? And then you walk down the street a little bit further and someone else yells, hey, do you want titties? We got titties in here, man. You got anything we want. And that's Japan. But it's like, I'm going to, nine times out of ten, I'm going to choose the game that just has, that goes all the way on the one thing that it does. It's all the way in on its story. It's all the way in on its world, like Dark Souls. Or it's all the way in on its gameplay, like Monster Hunter, like Dead Cells, like Enter the Gungeon, like all of these games that I can't stop playing, like Path of Exile. Uh, all of these games and not the ones that are trying to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I I don't know if these games are trying to be like the one game you need to play all year. 
like, oh, here's Assassin's Creed. It's the only game you need all year. And because of that, we put in horses and you can breed these horses and you can race these horses. And here's there's relationships and you can develop them. And I just don't need all that stuff. Just give me the one thing that the game does. And that's enough. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but I, I know exactly what you mean. And I totally feel the same way. And it's very hard for me to get excited about these games that are just like, it's going to like upfront that they use the like almost the time investment and it's open world like sandboxiness as a um, as like a, a bullet point as like it's a positive thing. And if I hear something lasts like 200 hours, uh, it's very hard for me to be that excited about it. Unless it's like, you know, maybe it's Kingdom Death Monster and then I play that. But or yeah, Kingdom I mean, and, and for me, I'm always going to like something about just the the Bethesda style RPGs, like I'm, I'm always all in on those. Yeah. And I know those aren't for you, but uh, just that is, I'm glad that's like not my style. Cause I'm finding out more and more that I just, I can't. But that's I, the thing that you have to do, especially at our age where we have money. Like when you have the money, like it's tempting to just be like, Oh, here's this new thing. I want to find out if it's for me. Yeah. And realistically I'm at an age where I should already know. And I think I'm getting there. Well, I, I, I feel like, you know, the interesting thing with games is that things do come around at certain times where I, I say how much I could never, you know, love a Yakuza thing again. And and I swear to you, there's there's going to be a time in the future where like a big open world, dumb sandbox. I mean, th that was kind of like Zelda Breath of the Wild, right? Like that was a game that was like 100, 100 hours long. I did play that game for 100 hours. It was on the go. So it was on it was Switch. So it's not exactly a fair comparison, but there are times where a game is allowed to do the, try and be the everything, the er game. And, uh, and maybe I'll be in the mood for it, but you know, that like, I don't know I, I, right now. It just really feels like I'm, I'm thinking a lot about dragon ball fighters. And right now I'm thinking a lot about monster hunter and dragon ball fighters. And that's great. I like, I love having ga like games like that, where both of them feel like they're very easy to jump in, but they both have a different, speed to them you know yeah and you end up racking up all the hours eventually yeah. so you don't look at it and say like oh geez i have to play this for 100 hours but you know you play two hours here you play two hours there and then you have then... 276 hours on uh dragon ball fighters yeah those fighting games especially rack up for you huh for me especially because i just feel like I'll, i love having the fighting game at a time there's not nothing is going to beat that for me like the feeling of a good fighting game of like the that that 1v1 i just feel like it is it never gets boring to me in the way that like certain other games do every fighting game that i've had like to play in the last i don't know x number of years has always had some issue with it that made me not want to continue playing it even when there's an issue with it i just keep going what happened to a uh, cross tag? There was no one online. Oh yeah, well they they screwed that one up. They screwed that pooch, huh? There was just no players. Yeah, maybe it was because hmm, it you had to physically find someone to get in a fight, and that made me quit. And I feel like there's probably a lot of other people like me that were like, yeah, I'm not doing that. For Dragon Ball, I had issues with the lobby system. I wasn't crazy about the cast, and uh, I, I I just That's don't want. I want a one v one game. It's getting fixed. I want a one v one. Sure. And you can't fix that. I'll probably play Soul Calibur just because I've always liked that series a lot. I will probably play Soul Calibur as well, or I most one hundred percent definitely will. And not a fighting game, but I gotta say, I am 
pretty jazzed on that new Smash Brothers. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fun. Uh, did you see any of the soundtrack stuff that they're doing where they have like just hundreds and hundreds of songs? But one of the cool thing is that they also have different composers like remastering and redoing some of the songs. So for an example of this is that the uh, the composition for the Gangplank, Gangplank Galleon, which is one of the first songs that you hear in Donkey Kong Country. Donkey. Uh, this time was orchestrated by, uh, I well, I guess the orchestra from uh, Xenoblade. Oh, good. Okay. So, so kind of just like a, and they're sort of doing that where they're passing around these different songs to these different composers that, that sort of gives them, you know, uh, it revitalizes them. They're not just recycling music. That should be cool. They, and they have every character ever. They just recently announced that King K rule. So they got, what is it? For, I love him. What are, what, are the, what are the true, true new characters right now? The true new characters, not like uh, Dark Inklings, Samus. Uh, K rule and the Belmonts. And Ridley? And Ridley. Who, and what did Knuckles. you say before that? Uh, the Inklings. Oh, Inklings, the King K. Rule, Bel- Belmonts, and Ridley right now. Okay. And Knuckles. No, he's not. And Dante from Devil May Cry. Ooh, that'd be good. I could see that, right? What do you mean you could see that? Dante like lends himself to the mo- to fighting games because he has like a billion moves. He could do anything. Also, you could have him do anything I you want. I guarantee you. I promise you that Monster Hunter is in this game. I, that would be so dope because guess what? Monster Hunter did, in fact, make it to a fighting game last no, year, I think. Was it last year it or this year? It made it to something. Um, and, Mon- and that fighting game was fun to play, and Monster Hunter in that game was super fun to play. It's so weird that I'm not still playing that specific fighting game, of which we'll never mention again. But Monster Hunter would be good if they just took that entire kit. If they just took that kit again and just did that right there, that'd be cool. Everyone would love it. You know it. that uh, they have Monster Hunter stuff in that game already. There's a Rathalos assist yeah. trophy. Yeah, I know. That, that like, worries me a little bit. Because usually, you know, when you're going to do that, you're like, bang, Monster Hunter is going to be in the new Switch. Bang, Rathalos assist trophy. Bang, Highlands thing. They put so much in that game. There's a sh- there's shovel knights in that game now. Shovel knights in the game trophy. now. Oh, everyone's in this trophy. I would rather him be an actual you, character. You want to know something that I've actually been like thinking about playing, and I played the demo of, and I really liked it. You'd never guess. It's WarioWare Gold. Okay. That game is slick. Have you played any of the WarioWare games? Uh, yeah, I used to love them. They're fun. I dig. They're great party I games. I dig the style. When you have the people I, over. I, I really dig the style of WarioWare. Oh, it was so good on the Wii. If that's the one you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, that was the one. Really cool. Uh, there is a really funny thing that I saw. I don't I don't know if you saw this, but did you see the thing where WarioWare Gold accepts every single amiibo? And what it does is you tap the amiibo, and then Wario will draw a picture of the character that you tap the amiibo of in, in like a paint style. Okay. So he'll draw them all like trash unless you put a Wario amiibo down. Okay, and then he draws. And then it he gives you well. like this beautiful rendition of himself, where he's like super handsome. I-, I just dig the style of those games, and it's something that I could play on the go. But will I actually play it with Monster Hunter on its way? That's the question we must all ask ourselves. I almost want to play it just because I dig and appreciate the style of those games so much, like the music and the way they look and the characters, and like 
it's pretty funny. Do you know anything about the new game? No. Where WarioWare is like holding a gaming tournament and he wants to make money streaming. Oh, and so he's like a variety it's, streamer? It's like about esports. Yeah. It's very weird. Oh, wow. So what else? Did you play anything? Uh, I've, I, I really haven't. I, I played Yakuza. I've been playing Dead Cells because Dead Cells is, is out. It's released. That's one of the best games of the year. That's hard to argue. I agree. I'm playing that on PC because I unlocked so much stuff on it that I can't possibly transition to Switch. But so, I know you were waiting for that game to come out on Switch. Uh, I don't even have it yet on Switch. I've played it on PC. Um, I feel like, you know, I was so excited about that game, and I feel like Slay the Spire kind of took its uh, its money, lunch money. Those are not the They're same not the at same. All, They're not the same at all, but it like, took its lunch money as like an exciting indie that I would just play and play and play and play. I mean, everything competes. Everything competes, right? You were just talking about the way that time competes. Like, Monster Hunter competes with Yakuza because you're you have X amount of time, and you would rather be doing something like that. And but you also not... have games that like operate in specific times yeah. of, of day, right? Yeah. Where and some of those are Switch. Like Switch occupies a certain time of your week. Yeah, my work week. So if something is on Switch, then. It's a little different. I fell off of Octopath. Have you played any more Octopath? How far did you get in that? Yeah, I did play more Octopath because I needed to get through a a fight that I closed the system on in order to save the game and close it so that I could download the Monster Hunter Generations demo. That's what you want to hear. I like that game, but my issue with it actually is just that the fights are really long against trash. They are really long against everything. The bosses are really long. That's not my only issue, though. I have other issues. It's just that I don't like how long the fights are in random encounters because it's like you're trying to go from point A to point B and you get into a fight and it's like, oh, this is four minutes of my time and then you go to the next one. Yeah, Dunkey made fun of it and it's, I mean, I would just before that saying how I think that JRPGs, classic JRPGs are like dead as hell and like I hate them and that the genre itself is very, very bad and there's very, there's like, so few like art like what you know the persona team basically you know uh actually doing anything and they don't do random battles uh yeah they don't they don't they have the the uh the enemies on the outside and you and there's also you're not always doing that but like one of the reasons why persona is so good i guess from a like theoretical standpoint is that it switches up what you're doing you're never just like you know, always walking around and grinding, you have like those, you, you, you have a whole portion of the game that is based around like you as a school student and developing relationships and doing these other things and that it can do, uh, the combat and the JRPG stuff on the, on the side as like the, the other side of the coin. And with, um, Octopath, you're really not doing anything that fun. You're getting like story beats in the, uh, towns and sometimes you get into fights, but like, the fights are like brutally long, like you said, and not very interesting. They're just like every enemy is kind of spongy. And uh, I feel like it's a huge problem because you just you're not having any fun. Like Dunkey made a, a really good point that like with like trash enemies in other games and like, you know, Mar in like a Mario game, for example, you run and there's a Goomba and you jump on the, the Goomba and maybe you feel good about it and you get a big little boost from jumping off that Goomba and killing it. Uh, maybe get and a it's coin. pretty similar in Persona, where like if you've already beat the puzzle of the enemy, like oh you know exactly what this enemy is weak to, then you can just, you just crit kinda, it. 
you jump you jump over them essentially yeah you just crit them like for for all they're worth and, and it's faster Unless you make like a huge mistake if you make a huge mistake an enemy can kill you but usually they don't yeah and so, in Octopath, they just draw that out. Yeah, and like yeah, in any other game, like the trash is a little bit more fun. But in Octopath, really, the trash is just like aggressive in your face, and you have to do awesome. a lot of it. Default. It asks for a lot of uh, it asks for a lot of that more than um, than a lot of other JRPGs have been doing. And like it if, asks for it randomly. Yeah, and it, but it, yeah, it asks for a lot of it. It asks for like a lot of grinding in that game. Like I'm at a point where at, at, after you had gotten out of the prologues, like. I had to grind for characters, so I'm doing some of the characters' uh, first mission kind of main story quests, and um, uh, even between those, I'm having to kind of grind a little bit to get characters up and ready for their own main story quests. So, like, that's that's rough, man. Uh, anything else? Uh, I I don't think so. That's it. Unless you want to hear more about Enter the Gungeon, hit me with some more P about dead cells, but games. Uh, and there, we... right there, was the intro for the board, the table topping, table topping, P tops, P. I got sports. to play Castles of the Mad King Ludwig this week. We got to play a bunch of stuff, actually. I forgot because we never talked about uh, Gaia Project. I played Spirit Island at your house. Um, played a little bit of it. Played a little bit of Spirit Island. Played a little bit of Gaia Project. I didn't realize that was that was last week. So long ago. That was last week on uh. Last oh, we recorded with, early with in the week. Yeah, we, we recorded on Monday, and then that was last Wednesday. And then today is Thursday of the week after that. So I guess we played a lot of stuff. My dog is going crazy right now. Tell me just about the Castles bed, of the Mad King Ludwig. So in Castles of the Mad King Ludwig, uh, you are trying to build, each player is trying to build a castle for the Mad King that will satisfy his needs. And each game, you're going to have like different objectives of things that he wants. So in one game, he might say, I want more outdoor rooms, or I want more entertainment rooms, or I want rooms that are complete and connected to all of these other places, or I want you to build the, the biggest castle. Uh, so your objectives are changing up, and in addition to that, you have some secret objectives that other players don't know about. And essentially, as you're building the castle, what you're trying to do is you're trying to complete all of the doors on every side of a room so if you build like a like the a throne room the throne room is like a purple style room uh which can which counts as like a living quarters so when you put a another room attached to every doorway of it you get like a bonus and the bonus you get is dependent on what style of room it is so one room might give you the ability to take a free turn one room might give you like more money to buy, you know, better rooms from now on or stuff like that. But I think one of my favorite parts about the game is the the master builder, where every turn uh, the you sort of cycle who is the master builder, and the master builder determines how much each room costs for the next turn. And the thing that's cool about this is that the other players they don't pay the bank, they pay the master builder. And then the master builder gets to take his buying action last. So there's so many considerations. Uh, for example, do you want to block another player and put something totally out of their price range, knowing that if you do that, you're not getting the money. 
do you want to make something affordable so that they can buy it? Do you want to, you know, sort of tweaking yeah. like where exactly will they spend the money? Where's the break point? But also really importantly, which piece, which room do I want this turn? And how do I price it so that the other players don't buy it? Do I price it to be really expensive? Do I price it to be really cheap? Like how how will they will they notice the worth of this room to me and will they respond to it? And it's it's such a cool push and pull. I really like that. I really like player driven economies like that. Yeah, and it's a game that I, I played it at three. I think that it's a game that would play great at both two and four. Uh, really, really looking forward to checking out that game again. We also played Spirit Island. I'd love to hear your thoughts about Spirit Island. But also, uh, they just restocked their promo spirits. So $10 on their website will get you access to two new spirits. Kind of cool. Yeah, and I feel like that's a really good buy, actually, because the spirits are, you know, the whole way that you're interacting with the game. Um, I like well, Spirit Island. Well, once you... Spirit, that's true, but I will argue that it, once you start playing the advanced variant of Spirit Island, it's actually all about the minor and major powers because each spirit can essentially buy any minor or major power okay. when, you're play, when you're playing the, the full game. But go All on. right, so you're not as unique as it is on the basic variant. But um, uh, I liked it a lot. I like the components. It's a really good-looking game. The art is really nice. I can imagine that sucking a lot of people... In, um, I feel like one of the first things I thought about it was that it's like an aggressively, it's like such a well-priced game for the amount of time that you can get out of it. Uh, just because I can imagine it just being fun to like try with different spirits because it's a, the spirits are asymmetrical, um, and with board, different board layouts, or there's those like story beats that make the game harder and also like, you know, have their own kind of, uh, like campaign scenario kind of thing yeah and there's uh, also an expansion that adds like tons of new spells more spirits uh scenarios and like events that sort of modify the way the island like comes together yeah I, I liked it a lot i feel like we didn't really get a chance to get that far in it i feel like one of the things is like uh it's a little it's kind of slow moving and it's even more slow moving like it, it was slow moving because you were having to explain it to me and because there's a lot of like symbology in that game um, and it is pretty hefty, actually. I feel like it's it's kind of got a weight to it. But uh, I feel like um, uh, one of the things that was happening a lot was like, you know, different like, oh, I'm going to, uh, you know, thinking for a little while, oh, I'm going to do this. And then you're like, OK, I'll do that. And then now that I see that card, it's like, oh, wait a minute. No, I didn't know you even had that card. So now I'm going to try a completely different thing. And it, like we were taking a really long time to get through uh, some of the the turns. Um, I don't feel like I really deserve to say that much about it other than like it's a pretty game the components are good and it felt kind of cool i'd say also that what do you do you agree that like it's a game that's kind of hard to quarterback because of just like the versatility of the characters and yeah. the fact that things happen like sort of all at once yeah yeah because there's a lot of stuff to pay attention to like where what the enemies are doing on the on the next turn or maybe in the future turns and maybe setting up for that or like you know setting up big turns and getting stronger i feel it it did feel like i've heard this about uh spirit island and it's like meant to be this way but like the beginning of the game is that like 
the enemies get stronger and stronger and, you know, start covering the island and they're building and building and everything is getting worse and they're making blight and they're ruining it and you're, you know, feeling like there's no way that you're going to be able to deal with this. And then, like, the the heroes, the, the spirits you're playing as are getting stronger and stronger and then you eventually hit a break point where you're just, like, you know, wiping out big groups of enemies. Like, it's kind of fun. It's kind of funny because, like, the way that the, the flow of the game is that, like, it starts out and you kind of like everything is out of your grasp and you're watching as the game slowly is like spinning out of control and everything is getting worse and you can't really like like it's like you're on a boat and all these different holes are appearing and you're trying to plug up the holes but there's like more holes than you even have fingers and then at some point uh you know you get like a sealant or something i don't even know i don't even know how to continue that analogy you grow like another five hands because you're a god and then you plug up all the holes, and then it's awesome. But you, but in the beginning, you kind of watch as things kind of go to hell. So that was really cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, I like. We play- also like early game and late game spirits that, like, you know, some spirits are really strong at the start, and some spirits, like uh, one of the ones that is um, uh, a promo spirit, he he uh, essentially has like no cards at the beginning, and it takes him forever. We're, we're like. Sorry, he starts off with like one energy and then like the next thing he'll get would be like instead of getting energy, he'll get like an air element and then a fire element. But then like a couple turns later, he jumps from having like two energy to having six energy to having 12 energy. So he just like ramps up super hard in the end and just like destroys. Mm -hmm. Um, We played Jaipur and you had talked about that. That's a pretty cool game. Um, It kind of like... Reminds me of Splendor, but it's 2v2, right? That Or it's 1v1, that's 1v1. it, right? That's it. Um, so it's really cool and elegant, and there's a lot of different things. I, I think the main mechanic in it that I like that I haven't seen necessarily, like, it's kind of in Splendor with, like, buying the, um, the what are they called? The favor people? Yeah, those guys. But the kind of cool thing about, like, I think the main cool thing I, I, I liked about Jaipur is that very simply, like, you know, you have this hand of colored cards and you're trying to sell these spices and you're picking up the spices so your enemy can kind of see what you're going for. And the scary thing is that there's like a limited number of these sales to be had and the sales are more upfront. So, like, let's say there's like, you know, 10 tokens of... Uh, it's like five tokens of red or something i don't i don't know and the first yeah, token is like token. seven and the second token is like five and the the third token is like three and then it's like two one one or something where it starts to get like very very low um so the main idea of it is like you're building up these combos and maybe you want to and like there's inexpensive spices that there's more tokens of that like you can maybe spend more time building up a bigger combo of but you kind of want to be the first one to make that purchase because if you you know, sell, if you wait too long and your opponent gets the first sell on red, maybe they even only sell two red and then they get like that seven and that five. And then you only clean up like the three, two, one, one or whatever. And you like, so it's, it's an interesting thing of like, you know, having to show basically like what you're building up and your opponent knows that you're building towards it. Um, so they can also build towards it or like block you in certain areas or build towards something else because they they realize that like you're building towards something and you're not really gonna block them on a different kind of sale so that was really interesting we also played azul though and azul was pretty sick and azul was was interesting and also like 
a really pretty game uh aesthetically and like with components like it's uh a uh abstract game where you have like these these tiles and you're setting up these combos and it's kind of like hard to explain but they but i but but it's really hard to explain it's hard to explain like but visually it makes sense well like i feel like a lot of uh, abstract games that way like i feel like if you were going to try and like write out a whole thing for Mancala and like try and like get your head around it it would be a little bit harder or like write out a whole thing for chess i i feel like those kind of things yeah, like, like santorini it's they, like oh you're you hop around and you try to build a, a a castle and you have to put a little a little hat on the top of the castle it's like what yeah i just i i i feel like sometimes abstract games are really hard because there's no there's like the theme isn't there so they nothing really ties it together and it's hard to like imagine what a turn even looks like but uh azul really wasn't that that complicated actually playing it and it did kind of like it did kind of like sour me a little bit on jaipur because i feel like they're both like interesting abstract games that have that element of like of like trying to stop like like not really like a take that but like trying to stop a player like watching as a player is like taking things so you know what they're going for and like it's kind of like has you have like a lot of like at least for azul you have like perfect information so you get to see like what tiles are on the board what combos can they even go for what combos do they have already whether they're like the the best ways for them to score and the, the best ways for you to score and like how do those kind of things interact so um and then that plays from like two to five two to five i think so that's also a really interesting game and it got a lot of buzz this year i think that a lot of people are saying that was going to be the game of the year before uh, I feel like uh, Root kind of came along, and I think people are are quite in love, quite enamored. People have, yeah, people were like gushing about Spirit Island, and like in the exact same way that people talked about Spirit Island, they're now talking about Root. And I ordered Root, I ordered the expansion to Root, and now I'm just consuming Root content until I can play it. Any idea when you'll get that? It hasn't even shipped yet. There's they they said that I should anticipate shipping in one week. Okay. Um. But I gotta I gotta have that game. Yeah. Uh. That game. I I want to talk more about it at the time. But like I feel like that would be a really good. Like I'm really loving the asymmetrical stuff. And Root is like hyper asymmetrical. And I think that's really cool. And it's like a hyper asymmetrical war game. I like the idea of this war game where, like, literally one of the things that sells me so much on Root is that one of the factions starts out controlling the entire map. Um, I, I feel like one and of the they're really doing cool- a city builder. Like, they're essentially playing a city builder where you're, like, just placing buildings down. Yeah. You're trying to place, like, sawmills. You're trying to place, like, recruitment centers. You're trying to, like, craft stuff. And, and then you're just trying to defend what you've got. Because you already control the board. Um, I, I feel like when I was looking at the factions, I was really blown away by how creative all the factions were. And it kind of seems like, you know, from at a glance, if you like, you know, uh, shuffled up the faction boards or gave people factions randomly, any faction that people would get, they would kind of like see what they've got. And then they would just be, they would feel like a sense of like ownership and a sense of like, I, I, I feel like happy with that. Like imagine giving someone like, uh, like, you know, any of the factions, like you give someone that, that, that marquee, the, the cat faction, and suddenly they control the entire board. And then they're just like, turn one, yeah. you control the entire board. Like you're excited. Cause you're like, I control this entire board. Like I, I the only thing that is stopping me from winning is just not making mistakes. I can just, con- I can just, you know, just, I just want to control what I already have and win. And then they, and then you have like 
the bird faction that it's like this like complicated kind of chaining actions together but is really cool and they're kind of starting from one small spot on the board and trying to branch out and fight this like war and then you have this gorilla faction that's like uh playing sympathy in different areas and then they kind of burst out of one town and spread out that way you got the vagabond that is like a completely different like not even a faction can't be harmed by anyone just walks around playing everyone against everyone and these river folk uh factions i know that there's a crocodile that is basically a merchant group that sells to all the other factions like i just feel like when you look at those factions uh, you give and you tell anyone like, okay, so you're this, and you come and and the way you're, you're the cog you are in this greater scheme of this game is so unique and interesting, and I feel like people can just jive with that. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like different people are gonna like different factions, like based on the kind of games they like to play. So I know that like if I were playing this game with let's say Paul. I know that he would love to be like the Marquis because like those are the kind of games that he likes to play. Yeah. And, and I think that that's one of the cool things also because like Vagabond also isn't going to be for everyone. Yeah. Vagabond is, is definitely for me, but I don't know that everybody wants to play that style. So. And, and the cool thing about Root is that you could sort of join all those people together and everybody gets to play a different game know, at the same time. It. Yeah. So that's really cool. I, I, I do. Yeah. I do like, I like what you're saying and it is really cool that you can play different games in one game and you can be a part like, like you pl in playing your game, create almost like that individual kind of narrative of like, Oh, the marquee, we're building all these areas up here. So I tried to attack over here and like how the different strategies and the different factions in play, you know, create so much unique, like tension and, and almost synergy with each other. So I also found a local meetup that I'm going to start going to for true. It's uh. It's like 15 minutes from work and they play some really cool games in a gastropub. And some of the games that they mentioned playing are like Galaxy, Trucker, and like Ter Terra Mystica. Oh, speaking of Terra Mystica, we played Gaia Project. We did. That's the uh, space version of Terra Mystica, which we discussed. It was previously. so much of the space version of Terra Mystica that like you and Charlene were able to like almost walk me through some of the rules because it was the first time I was really getting a chance to like go through a whole game from start to finish with other people. And, uh, that game is, uh, aggressive to teach and aggressive to learn it. It just says there's so much, there's so much information and there's so many options available to you every turn. It just feels like it's like just overwhelming right away, right off the bat. Yeah, and, and that's also crazy because the actual things that you're doing in the game, and, and I and I don't know if you listened to the So Very Wrong About Games I did. episode on I this, did listen to where, so where they're wrong. essentially saying, like, at the end of the day, all that you're doing is placing buildings, and at the end of the game, you will have placed, like, 10 buildings. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, wow, that's true. There's there's a lot more going on in that game, but at the end of the day, I guess I guess you really do just place 10 buildings, huh? Yeah. Um, well, sort of. I feel like I, I feel like one of the hosts said that and the other host was like, that's ridiculously reductive. And that's also it is really dumb. At a, it yeah, is actually at a dumb the, statement because yeah, at, the end, at of the, the, day, end of the day, you're getting points in, in a game. Like, what does that mean? Like, oh, at the end of the day, you're just collecting points. It's like, yeah, that's a lot of games are collecting. Yeah. Points. Couldn't you say that about like, oh, yeah, at the end of the day in uh, in uh Twilight Imperium, you play eight hours and all you're doing is trying to get to 10 and you're just, you know, seeing what the cards deal you. That's it. At the end of the day, I collect a paycheck and that's it. That's my life. Yeah. At the end of the day is a dumb statement usually. And I feel like 
uh, I could imagine this game going different ways for different people uh, and uh, not hitting for some people. And maybe uh, there's and it's interesting because I feel like there's a lot of reasons why I could not hit for some people. Like maybe you're the kind of person that's played like a million hours of Terra Mystica and it could go either way. Maybe you say you like the brand new coat of paint or maybe you look at this brand new coat of paint and the slight changes that you see are like oh that's a bad change i don't that, that was never this way in terra mystica and you don't like it or you know maybe i i mean one of the things that it, i think that aesthetics are always so important like something like azul is easy to drop out on a table uh and it's like a it's an interesting it'll draw like, people to it because people look at it and they want to see it like it yeah it has a like it's pretty to look at. Yeah, and it's good because Azul is the kind of game where you can like finish up a game and be like, you know, you get next, and then by the time that they're watching it played, they can kind of like grok what it's about. So like Azul having like this like this like you know simple sort of like simple yet elegant and complex abstract theme works well with having gorgeous components because it it sucks people into that table and. I feel like Gaia Project is like trying to get people away from the table. And the first thing you notice about any game really is those really are the aesthetics. And Gaia Project has maybe the worst aesthetics that I've ever seen. Like it's almost like a lack of like if everything were just a lack of aesthetics and were maybe just like a card or or text um, that just explained what it did. I would almost be happier with it. Um, the reason why, like we talked about this before, that, you you yeah. were talking about the reason why euros have all these this symbology is because that way they can write the rule books in different languages, but the components and all the you know the board and the pieces and the cards and everything can remain the same because it's just showing you a picture and then you explain the picture in different languages, um, which makes sense. But when you're trying to explain this many concepts and like some of the concepts are these like outlandish long like multi paragraph explanations of how you rule wise use like a factions uh like federation like main building or their like you know the capital building or whatever or their their uh faction power uh that it gets down to like why do you even almost have symbols to explain it because these are these require paragraphs for you to explain they can't be explained in one simple image and then the and and then uh, not even that not even just like the the uh ridiculous like just drowning in symbology like if you just look at the game you just like feel like you're like choking on all these weird symbols and colors and icons is the fact that like it all looks like clip art it all looks like you know 90s era like you're playing a game you're you know what it looks like it reminds me of like when you learn to like you know type on a keyboard like the kind of like graphics would be like oh we gotta kill the aliens here's the xenos Type out a dog and God at the same time to kill the Xenos. That doesn't sound very hard. Dog and God. That's easy enough. I know you could reverse it. It's like a palindrome. But um, yeah, so it so aesthetically sucks, but I feel like it really did resonate with me. And it's hard to say how much I actually enjoyed it. And I think it really, you know, got summed up by like a final turn where like one mistake I did led to like 15 minutes of you walking in circle whenever whenever someone has to like you know whenever someone like excitedly stands up from the table and starts like walking around to like get different angles and to like look at different boards or you know like read different things and they're just like huh so i could do this and i could do this and you can watch all that like red string connecting all these different things in their mind uh that's i feel like a good moment and you had like a really exciting moment at the end of that game 
Yeah, and you, and you kind of hope that everybody gets to do that once in a game. And, and sometimes you you could tell when like somebody isn't about it, and that's that's how I know I'm about it because I gotta lean in. Yeah, you get you do that you do that hard lean. Guy Fieri, you know, when he talks about eating food, is you like, you know, you you put your your elbows up and you try and like muscle people away from you and you haunch over. And this is the kind of board game version of that Guy Fieri stance. Where you and got you know it. I really respect and appreciate Guy Fieri, so I appreciate this uh, comparison. I know he's a great guy. He's feeding the people in California. But yeah, sometimes you, so so that's where I was at. I mean, with and you know what's funny is in Terra Mystica, I did the exact same thing, where everybody finished their last turn, and I had spent the entire game amassing enough resources to pull something off at the end of the game. Hmm. Um, and, and I don't know if that meant that I was managing my resources inefficiently throughout the game or if I was supposed to be like more like uh, active during the actual game. But at the end of the day, at the I end spent of the day, every last resource I had. Yeah. At the end of the day, I just placed 10 buildings. Yeah. Um, other complaints that I heard about it, especially like I'm now I'm thinking of that episode is like, uh, that the factions are, you know, they're these asymmetrical factions and that uh, their abilities kind of like uh, pigeonhole you or like funnel you into certain strategies. And it it's kind of interesting because like depending on what faction you are getting resources or certain types of resources will be like easier or harder. And I see how you can I, I feel like I understand how like cursory you could look at it and maybe it's like the faction we were playing or the faction I played, but I could see how you could curse. And I played Terran, by the way, which I feel like is very strong. Um, uh, I feel like you could um, look at those things and say that you're kind of pigeonholed into playing a certain way with your faction. But the way that I felt in like kind of reading some of the factions abilities, it feels like the factions abilities are the kind of like they're the uh, rule that you got to kind of wrangle the most to get the most out of the game. You're, you're gonna like, it's like you want to building things is fun and getting more rewards for building things is even more fun. And like getting more resources the next round to build even more things is fun. And like taking over the map and, you know, jumping on a planet before anyone else can get there and like cutting off your, your opponent from getting juicy planets or juicy guys, like all that kind of stuff is fun. And I feel like what the factions abilities are more than a, more than like pigeonholing you into playing style is like what you need to do to get the most out of the resources. Like you still got to play the game. You still got to like react to what's going on, on the board and like what the different conditions for winning each round or the overall game is. But um, your faction is like a means. It's like a catalyst to getting all that, all that juicy money and resources and, or and knowledge that you want. Yeah, but the faction that I was playing, for example, they didn't have special ways of gaining resources. I mean, I guess they did where they had the income of a QIC, right? They they that was like their default. You were getting like, so many QICs, and then you were the only ones, only one who was able to take those QIC actions. Those QIC actions did some did some work for me, but the main thing that really helped me was that one of their driving forces is that you only need six power to create a federation instead of seven. So my game plan had to be based around that building of of the federations. Had to get at least three on the board, otherwise, no chance of winning. Uh-huh. So it's tricky. Uh, in 
in guy, correct me if I'm wrong. In in well, I, I guess rather just answer my damn question because I don't know the answer. Uh, do you get points based on having the largest connected colony? No. In Terra Mystica, I, I, I think do. there there maybe there is something for like an end of round scoring for that actually, but it's not oh, a okay, consistent yeah. thing. You know. I would play Gaia Project again. Because because Gaia Project, I don't know, like. I played Terra Mystica a little bit on the computer, and I really didn't uh, dig the overall Steam game of that, the PC port. It crashed a couple times, actually. Anyway, the yeah. so so I don't know if this is true. Uh, Gaia Project has uh, randomized, like, tons of randomized tokens for different round boosters that, like, score... Well, there's tons of random elements before the game starts. There's, like, the round boosters that give you income or, like, an ability or something to use. And then there's... Uh, every round there's a different thing that like uh, objective that can score you extra points. And then there's two overall game winning things. And I think one of them is like, you know, largest faction. One of them is most Gaia planets. One of them is most, uh, you know, t- turning the most trans dim planets and doing the most Gaia projects. Um, and the, the ones we had were like c- controlling the most Gaia planets and terraforming the most. So like every terraforming step counted as, uh, uh, another uh, on that tracker. It's a rung on the ladder. Yeah, so um, those are what we had. It would be a very different game. It's interesting because, like, the game would be very different based on, like, what things we would be going for, or what factions we'd be playing. There's there's so much going into the game that, that feels like it is uh, so interesting and variable that I really do want to play again. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if there's any... Uh, like I said, yeah, there's no like hardcore set rule. The The things that score you at the end of the game are basically randomized. Did I already talk about King Domino? I feel like no, I you did. didn't. So King Domino is a pretty, a, a pretty small, pretty, pretty quick to play game where essentially what you're doing is you have a little kingdom tile. So you have like this one little tile and you're trying to build a five by five kingdom around it or sort of, yeah. Uh, so essentially you're drafting tiles. So you are taking a worker and placing it on a tile. Then when the round, when everyone's placed their workers, you pick up your, your tile, you place it on the board, and then you put your worker on another tile. And then you're sort of doing this until everyone's completed their kingdom. And then you're scoring points based on the number of connected, uh, the number of like connected pieces. So every connected desert piece will give you points or every connected mine will get you points, so on and so forth. And it's super quick to play. Uh, And one of the things that's cool about it is that like as a gateway game, very easy to teach King Domino, very, very simple. And then there is an enhanced version called Queen Domino, which actually like expands the games and adds all these bells and whistles. I haven't actually gotten to play that yet. But looking forward to checking that out and especially seeing if I can uh, turn Alyssa onto playing that because she likes King Domino and she won every game of it. Won every game. Won every game. What was the other game she played recently? Castles of Mad King Ludwig, right? Castles of the Mad King. Yeah. I wanted that because I was playing against... Um, well, so here's the thing is that sometimes people forget about the purpose of games or how you win games. And this is something that can happen in Scythe. And this is definitely something that can happen in Twilight Imperium. But people forget that the way you win the game is by getting the most points. It's not about at the end of the day, Mason. Flourishes, right? At the end of the day. 
but you know what I'm saying, right? In in Scythe, it's all about those stars. Yeah, I mean, yeah. In Twilight Imperium, it's you get the points, you win the game. Well, it's actually not really about stars. I've been playing a lot of Scythe on PC, and I will tell you that you don't always win every game that you finish. All I the, could not all play that. It was it was not good on <laughs> PC. It's a uh, there's issues. I mean, it's it, it's hard to port game. a board game to PC apparently. Is it? Apparently. I mean, there's a lot of information that it has to give you and that in real life, like looking over a board, like a glance at the board or like, you know, setting up or changing the way you're looking will give you. And with Scythe, like it's a pretty big board and there's a lot of things you want to see at a glance and it's hard to focus on everything or even see everything if you're, you know, trying to keep track of multiple targets, but you're kind of zoomed in. Yeah. And there's interfacing issues, right? Like if you look at the Scythe board and and you think about the upgrade step where you're pulling like something off of the top of the board and putting it on the bottom of the board. And it's so intuitive in person because you're moving that physical peg from one to another. But in in the in the video game, it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> it's not that hard. You just you click on one thing and move it to another thing. Yeah, sure. But it's not it doesn't make like it doesn't look intuitive like it yeah. doesn't. It makes sense to you because you've played the board game. It only makes sense to me because I played the board game. You're right. Like, I jumped in right away, and I was like, I had played Scythe, like, four times already. So I I, I understood, like, the factions and And is that what they want? Are they trying to sell this video game to someone who's already played the board game? Isn't it better to create a video game that can bring in new people? Especially since the gaming audience on, like, Steam is bigger. Than like the the gaming audience at the FLGS, I don't know. I just feel like they could make it. They maybe they try to do like too honest a recreation. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because it it does try and like it does try and do everything, but it does it it does it through like there's a lot of things you have to because like Scythe is is really pretty nuts actually. And the more I played it, I I especially see saw how. Uh, poor my play was in general by playing on the computer version just because like the things you have to focus on every turn and the things you have to like keep in the back of your mind are like you know overall goals of like where you build your buildings uh, your objectives are they even worth going for this time Uh, keeping in mind like the best way to make it so that at one point you're never not taking your bottom row action and all these kind of things like there's so much to optimize that you and then you're like having to deal with like the Sometimes, like, if the enemy is close to you, then, like, do you want to branch off in a different direction? Or, like, fighting actually is really good, and we didn't really use it. Like, if you bit, like, a lot of times you build stuff on top of mines, and then people can jump in one mine and then just immediately fight you. So, kind of, there is the board is smaller than it even looks, and you can get two objective, like, stars for fights. So, you can kind of, like, rush down the game when you feel comfortable by just, like, hunting someone down or popping up on a mine and quickly getting into a fight and winning um uh but yeah i just feel like there's a lot of stuff that i realize like uh, that i don't keep in mind well when the game is that focused uh on pc where just it's like a million icons everywhere to like you know show you what your objective is or show you what your mechs are or your player board or these kind of things like and you can't even see the status of other people's kind of boards so yeah it's a lot it tries to do too much and there's a lot of information to keep track of in scythe and it's hard to relay that on a single screen 
Because you kind of imagine, what? like, like Scythe relays informations and so, in, information to you in so many different ways. You have your your faction board, you have your player board, you have the overall like your popularity thing, you have the objective markers, you have the uh, uh, board. your strength, yeah. You have the the board in general and like where people are. So there's there like there's all these kind of things where like you need to be able to like quickly glance at them, but like in the actual like site in the site game, it requires like you know remembering to hit an icon to bring up uh, what your your dang objectives are, or you forget them the entire time. But you know, I've been on this podcast for nearly an hour and a half, and quite some time ago, I heard the the game villainous yeah but i haven't heard anything about that so what is villainous villainous is a game that is it's a board game that is currently only at target and it's 34 dollars. so not too bad but good luck finding it because since it came out i have tried to find it at different targets and i even went onto the target websites to try and hunt them down finally uh a shipment of it came in only two of them came into this one target and we uh uh, my LTCP and I basically bought it uh, for, on the Target app. You can buy what they have in stock, and they'll keep it for you. So we bought Villainous before anyone else could buy it when the store opened. And uh, that game is super cool, and I am really riding the high on that game. Um, it is a game where there it's Disney. Um, there are six villains. Uh, those villains a are... Disney game? It's a Disney game, and it's 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 so weird because like the, the uh, like you you read anything about it like Tom Vassell recently did a did a villainous um, review and he loved it and said like it's really good it's past you know like like it, it's it, it, the game is first of all like it's it's weird because it's weighty I would not recommend it at all for kids it's for people who really understand board but games it's for and Disney fans yeah it's weird because it really is like it's kind of towing a line like it it doesn't really it's not a good like Disney game like it's not a good uh game for like kids it's it's really for the fans of Disney who grew up with Disney which i guess it ma- it makes sense because some of the characters are like like you know King John from Robin Hood and like there hasn't been a Robin Hood thing in forever and like Ursula from the Little Mermaid like when did that movie come out and uh like all these like you know Aladdin like i think they're you know, you know like they they haven't done anything with Aladdin in a while like they the the game okay so the the six villains are Captain Hook from Peter Pan, uh, Ursula, Little Mermaid, um, uh, Jafar from Aladdin, uh, Prince John from Robin Hood, the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland, and oh, uh, Maleficent from uh, what is it? Sleeping Beauty. Uh, so, right. so six heroes. It is Prince John, huh? Prince John, you know everyone's no favorite. Idea. No idea. He is really cool, actually. He has probably one of the coolest uh, objectives. But anyway, super asymmetric game. Uh, kind of weirdly enough works like Scythe. Uh, it is every player has a, like, you know, uh, little abstract uh, trophy of that hero of the, or that villain, I guess. Uh, you, the villain, ha- you have a, a player board that has, uh, just like Scythe, uh, uh, a row of four different slots uh, and top and bottom row actions. So this might start to sound a little bit similar. Um, and basically what you're going to do on your turn is you're going to take that little, uh, that that hero, their villain, I guess, uh, uh, symbol, and you're going to move it somewhere, and you're going to take the actions in that space. 
that you that you that you could take. And the, the you know those actions are stuff like getting cards, playing cards, discarding cards. But the real thing that is big with the game is that every villain comes with, uh, other than the you know the player board that are those are asymmetric to begin with. Um, they have an asymmetric uh, deck and a deck that fights their deck. And the interesting thing is that. Uh, the game plays two to six, and everyone who is against you, everyone who is not you, is basically all in tandem playing your counter deck. Uh, so, so like as you're playing the game, the the people you're the opponents you're playing with are playing the the fate deck, which is exactly built to destroy you. And it's so interesting. It's like the 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 different interactions. So when you're playing the hook, you have to fight off a bunch of clocks and crocodiles. Yeah. Yes. So so he, so okay. So we we played literally about six seven hours of it, and we played every hero at least once, or every villain at least once. I keep doing that. Heroes are in the game, but they're you fight them. You don't like them. You don't like when heroes are there, except for in some cases. So anyway, every every villain has a completely. There's no like set like win the game by doing this. Every villain has their own completely unique objective. And uh, Captain Hook's objective is specifically that in that deck that it, that fights him, in the Fate deck that the other players play against you, there is one Peter Pan card. And you have to get the enemy to basically play the Peter Pan card. Then you have that, if you're thinking about Scythe, that has got those four segmented areas. You basically have to put Peter Pan down on the rightmost area and then through different turns and different effects and abilities and abilities on your cards, you're trying to move him all the way to the leftmost space and then defeat him. And that's what you have to do. You have to take, you have to first find Peter Pan in the deck, the fate deck that is against you. Then you need to put him on the left, the, the rightmost space and then move him uh, three times over to the leftmost space and then defeat him there. Naturally. Yeah. Obviously. But, but every every hero, every uh, every villain is so different. Prince John has to start with the, the main. There's only one resource in the game other than, I guess, cards, technically, which are a resource. Is but it wood? It's power. Power. And, yeah. And Prince John. What about John, wood? Well, wood's not in this game. How do they build without the wood? You don't build the wood. You just, uh, you get people to build for you. You're a villain. But Captain Hook needs wood to build a ship. He's already got the ship. That's not the problem. So you start the game and you already have all the wood you need. You you start the game and the wood is there. And you don't collect more of it. You don't collect any more wood. You got all the wood you need. See, in in Root, the Cat de Marquis, they get to collect wood. And that's why it's such a great game. Yeah, it's always on. a good crafting resource. Where's the wood in Monster Hunter? Uh, it's in there. There's a lot of wood in Monster Hunter Generations. You get like Yakumo wood and you get like wood from all these different trees. Help out the towns, build up the towns. That game's got a lot going on. Yeah, the main thing I just think is cool is that all the heroes play, the, all the villains play so differently. And What about the heroes? The heroes play differently. Um, so so it's just, it just cool that like by picking that villain... You have your unique objective, and then you have a deck to play, and then you have a deck that fights you. And it's not only is it fun to play your own deck, but it's fun to like play the enemy deck that fights them, and like that also requires skill. So like the game just is like so fun and unique and very cool. I can't wait to show you. So you're like playing multiple decks at the same time. Yeah, and everyone. At How the, many players can, is this game? Two to six. Wow. Do you think two is a good number of players? Um, 
apparently it works differently in different players uh amounts so like with six players you got this thing to pass around where whenever you are basically the target of like a negative which are these fate actions where they the enemies draw and play cards from your the deck that counters you um you get this thing that allows it so you don't can't get uh countered again but for two players it it felt awesome because you're because basically on your turn you're playing your deck and then you get a chance to like you know also play the the enemy's uh countering deck and then they play their turn and they start countering you and they're building up you know they're putting heroes for you to fight on the board and they're they're giving you like negative status effects and like you know, creating different situations where they're locking off certain things and making it so you can't take certain actions. Very cool. Like, it, it's really cool because... That's wacky. It, yeah, it's, it's really wacky. There's a lot of cool stuff in it. It's interesting because the playing of the... Like, when you choose to play a character, not only are you choosing to play that specific deck and that specific win condition, but you're choosing for your opponent to play a deck to fight them. And that's kind of cool, too, is like, you know, not only mastering the decks that you're playing for your villain, but as an opponent, like, how best do you play the enemy's deck? And are you, like, comboing with, like, your the villain's cards and the hero cards? Like, oh, what yeah. What is the interaction like? The, there is wild, just, like, crazy... And why is Peter Pan helping out Ursula? Peter Pan is against Captain Hook. But he's helping Ursula. Technically, I guess. Um... So, for example, like, there, there's some wild stuff of, like, uh, so for Jafar, it's, like, you have to summon the magic lamp at this one location, and then you summon Genie at that location, and then you have to search your deck for a, a hypnotize card, and then you have to be able to, like, hypnotize Genie into being one of your allies rather than one of your enemies, and then you gotta move Genie back over to Sir Sultan's Palace, and then you get this one card, Yago, the, uh, that parrot that, 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 uh, Jafar oh, has. And Iago uh, can Iago. move. Iago can move um, an item. So you're trying to use Iago to move the lamp that was at this original location over to the palace, and like, all the, there's all like the game is just full of like different combos. And then you, as playing the counter decks, like you can also find weird, unique combos of like, of like, there there were so many times where like one of us would be close to winning the game. And then one of us would just take a fate action would, that would set the other person back, like, multiple turns. So, for example, like, uh, my LTCP was about to kill Ca uh, Peter Pan at the right location, which would have won the game for Captain Hook. But I played the fate deck, and I found uh, she had uh, TikTok, the, the crocodile, on her board. And I put a taunt on TikTok, and the taunt read that you have to fight this character before you fight anyone else. So she had to take all these, she had to like build up more allies at this other area to be able to fight this crocodile to finally be able to fight Peter Pan. And before that happened, I played Tinkerbell and Tinkerbell has like an innate like Tinkle, Tinkerbell uh, deletes allies at locations. So I was able to like kill off some of the people she was using to try and kill Peter Pan. Like just so there's so much cool stuff you can do. It's like so hard to explain. And everything is so like the villains play so asymmetrically that like, they have completely different mechanics. They even have their own. Uh, it's it's really a gorgeous looking game component wise. But they all have their um, own unique uh, little booklet that explains their unique mechanics. And also, it like kind of before you even would even start the game, they they uh, clarify some rule things that you might come into. Uh, for some characters, they even tell you right away like, "Hey, if you get this card, play it as early as possible because it's a real big part of their overall." you know, mission and the way we designed this, this, this game, uh, 
I had a lot of fun. I really have to show you to for you to even understand like actually how this game really works because I think you know it's really hard to explain board games especially sometimes. Um, and other than just saying that it's like basically like playing scythe but without an overall board, like playing a scythe card game, um, uh, it's it's hard to explain um and really unique and just really cool and after all the amount of times we played it we wanted to keep playing it it's just really fun it really sucks you in and you just want to see the next thing and uh live out different like uh fantasies or try different routes to winning with that hero you and, feel like you've seen it all because you played it quite a bit um not really i do feel like i want to jump into it more just because i haven't seen certain things work out and i want to try different uh strategies uh it's it's kind of like it, it, it's not the same thing, but it's a little bit like playing like uh, Slay the Spire or something, right? Where where you you see the overall like the different ways that a that like the different combos that a uh, that the silent might have. And you want to be able to like it's not as you know, it's not as in depth. There's not any there's nothing like necessarily like the, you know, all getting all those powers or, you know, building up this big deck and you're not doing like the deck building or any of those mechanics. But it's kind of cool because it's like it's exciting to see the 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 concept behind the villains and then try and do it as like brutally and efficiently and get as far ahead as possible. But it's also like, it's still fun because you're still playing a card game. Like it, you can't, you don't, a lot of people don't get bored of playing card games just because you always have that element of like, you're playing against another player and you're, you're fighting them and the ways at which you can fight them are unique. And that there are some really like awesome turns that you can have that are like really exciting that involve like a lot of different, like queued up actions and, like mechanics all working together at once in unique ways i mean we we even we played it for you know seven hours we we played multiple times with with some of the villains and i feel like i didn't get my fill like i wouldn't want to you know break it out right again uh like i absolutely the next time i come over we'll bring it over uh i feel like it's really interesting and it like it's hard to say just how you really don't get enough by playing that villain once or twice you want to see the different things and uh, the different things that can happen with the deck or the different things that can happen to you as enemies. And it feels good to fight the enemies with their, like, counter decks. So even as, like, a player, you know, like, being able to, like, do, like, wait for the right time to, like, give someone a huge setback feels good. I'm surprised to hear that this game is so good. Uh, because I don't know that the general consensus really agrees, but I know that... I don't know. Go to, go to Board Game Geek. People really like it on Board Game Geek. There's some like it, rave reviews. It's going okay. It's uh, it's average review is five point six. I don't think. I think that the main thing that uh, that's interesting. I think that the main thing that hurts it is that like a big part of reviews on uh, BGG are like the weighting the system, like the adjusted weighting system, and how many people have to vote before something really slides up that that chart. But uh. Uh, I really like Villainous. Uh, I'll let it, uh, the game do be the judge. I'll let you be you the judge of it. You think that it's a pretty pretty low weight? I see that it's pretty low weight. Do I don't agree? think that at all. I feel like yeah, I feel like it's weird to say that it's low weight because there's a lot of things you can do and there's a lot of like really wild things. Like if you're not thinking about that game, you can really let I some think, yeah, insane things but pass I think by. Weight is based on how easy it is to onboard. It's not too bad to teach. The thing is, like, it's not too bad to teach, but there's lots of little weird interactions in all the decks. And also, I don't think you really fully understand 
the game until you've played it with one day and the with a villain once or twice and you know like what can hit you in the fate deck and what you're supposed to be doing with your main deck um because uh you really get like a more of like a gaming style sense of like okay i know what cards i have i know how many of those cards like i know i have like you know a hypnotize in my deck i know i have another card that lets me uh fish for a hypnotize i know i have a car i have multiple cards that let me fish for items or allies so like you by knowing what's in cap- your deck is capable of you can get to those moments where like you are hearthstone style realizing like okay the only thing that's going to save me right now i need to fish for this specific ally i need to get this ally right now onto the board so i'm going to use a scrying and i'm going to you know search my deck for that ally and until you have that information it's like a little bit hard to grok uh, like we we did get to the point where already playing it uh, after that amount of time we knew basically all the text on all the cards so we were playing it at that point just saying like okay i'm playing scrying right now and both both people instantly knew like the cost of that card and then like the you know what that card says on it and i feel like that was when the game started to get better and more like almost aggressive because in like trying to optimize it the other person learned how to optimize the uh not only their hero their villain but also optimize the deck that works against you because you could really start to figure out like once you see that there's that taunt card for captain hook you really can set up these situations where like you're building up like the crocodile or tinkerbell or all these like lost boys and stuff like that and the other person is like i'm not worried about that i just need to fight peter pan and then you just drop on them like oh yep here's a taunt on tiktok and now their whole you you set them back like five turns where now they got to build up this whole base of like different allies to fight that thing and like that's where the game gets interesting is like knowing the decks actually not just playing with them once all right i i think that might be the deal yeah with games that is uh this has been wtdg podcast you can find us online at wtdgpodcast.com at wtdg podcast on twitter or what's to do with games on itunes where you can rate comment and subscribe to the show. Thank you, Ryan Galloway and G- Ryan Galloway and crying for the use of your music. We use the intro and outro revive off the new album Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Run for Bandcamp. And uh, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I've got some breaking news. So Prince John, not a lot of people, not a lot think, of hype on Prince John, not a lot of hype about Prince John, but maybe that'll turn around as he was just announced as the new Super Smash Brothers character. Whoa. That was one of my favorite villainous characters, so I am pumped, excited to hear that, as always. Thank you, James. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, Sean. Fuck you, Sean. (laughs) 